Hi, Hi everyone. everyone. I'm John. And I'm Georgia. And we're here inside your ears to talk about the mac and cheese of movies. This, this is, is Comfort, Comfort Films. Films. Hello everyone and welcome to Comfort Films episode number three, Defending Your Life. Again, uh, we want to give a special thanks to all of our early listeners, subscribers, and we just want to say we appreciate you joining us and tuning in weekly and supporting us. Um, your comments have really kept us going, and we appreciate it. So this week, we have a really special surprise for you. We have a special guest who is at least 25% responsible for this podcast, um, being that she is 50% responsible for John's presence <laughs> on planet Earth, and that is his mother, Eileen Macy. She's here visiting us. And uh, we've dragged her into the closet for uh, a podcast. Hey, Eileen, thanks for being with us here tonight. Oh, um, I'm so happy to be here with uh, with you and John. It's been a long time since we've seen one another because of COVID. And uh, when I'm with the two of you, I am home. Oh, we love you. We're so happy you're here. And I love you both. <laughs> <laughs> so we know you pretty well, which is great, because otherwise this would be pretty awkward. <laughs> We're elbow to elbow in here. I've got my uh, arm around everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Not standard. Not standard at all. But yeah, so we know you pretty well, but why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? My name is Eileen Spoto Macy. I grew up in a little coal mining town in Pennsylvania to two of the most wonderful parents. And uh, I was very fortunate to grow up around family. My, my grandparents, my aunts, uncles, and cousins, we, we had a, a really uh, good family life. And growing up, my parents and I always went to the movies. I, I loved it. I remember telling my mother, I'd say, Ma, I want to go to movies where they're singing and dancing. I just loved musicals. And uh, as I, I grew up, I, I continued to go to the movies. My husband and I always went to the movies. And then when we had our, our little boy here, John, <laughs> we always went to the movies. I remember us going to the Muppet movies and to Back to the Future and Gizmo and you know, it was, movies have always been a, a big part of our lives. Yeah, John always movies. talks very fondly of yes. uh, all the movies he saw when he was little. The drive-ins, the theaters. Uh, yes. You know, and then the we got the VHS going. Oh, my goodness. The Friday night, pizza, pizza, <laughs> soda, and, and the VHS movies. That that was like a, a staple in our household. That was the weekend. Yes. <laughs> That's how the weekend well, began. That's how it began. And appropriately, we're recording this on a Friday night. So. We need to get a pizza. Yeah, this is it. <laughs> There's no room for a pizza. <laughs> get that later. Um, so, and now you're in Florida. Yes, I, I am uh, retired. I, I live in a lovely uh, retirement community in Florida. Uh, I, uh, I always, my dream was to be able to jump in my car and only take 20 minutes to go to the ocean. Well, it's a little different because I jump in my car, it takes me a half an hour, but that's okay. <laughs> my favorite place is the, the jetty in uh, Fort Pierce. I, I love to walk uh, this, on the sidewalk, uh, you know, running along the ocean, and I, I just watch the water glisten, and um, it's really one of the greatest joys in my life. Um, my retirement community is great. I, I am active in my community. I've always had a sense of community. I am the vice queen in the Red Hat Society, and I'm on the board of uh, the Homeowners Association. And um, 
in our, our community, we're always having parties like Halloween parties, Christmas parties, and there's always a band or a DJ, and I love to dance. I always love to dance, and uh, I have a good time. That brings me joy, too. Aww. That's great, and some of your uh, friends there have been listening to the podcast. So, um, especially Kim. So, thank you, Kim. Yes, yes Kim. Shout out thank to you, Kim. Kim. <laughs> thank you. All right. And so, today's episode, since we were lucky enough to have Eileen with us, we decided to uh, talk to her about her very favorite comfort film, which is Defending Your Life. Um, now, I know that you love this movie. You've seen it probably dozens of times. Yes. I've seen it with you at least three times myself. Yes. Um, and we've known each other for about 20 years now. Mm. And John has seen it with you, and then you've probably seen it by yourself even a few more times or with your friends. Right. So today we're going to talk about what it is about Defending Your Life that makes you keep coming back to it over and over. Well, one of the things about Defending Your Life is it brings back a lot of fond memories when John was growing up. I loved it. The thing I like the best about it is it touches on reincarnation. And sometimes I believe in reincarnation. Sometimes I don't, you know, I'm kind of on the fence with that. But I like the idea, you know, if uh, they didn't get it right the first time in their lives as they're reviewing their lives, well, then they can go back and they get a, a, a second chance. And I think it's great to be able to, you know, get to the place, you know, if you keep coming back that you get it right. Yeah, that's a really positive thing that I like about it also. So, um, before we dig into it too much more in detail, though, um, I think let's throw it over to John uh, for a synopsis. Before I do that, I'm jumping back on myself again. Um, I do want to remind everyone, as we do each week, that we are very likely to spoil the movie. So if you haven't seen it yet, hit pause, go watch it, and come back, and we'll be right here waiting for you. It's good to see you back. Um... A lot has changed uh, in the time since you've been gone. You look like you lost some weight. Um, that's a line from the movie. I, I couldn't help myself. Okay, so I'm going to give a synopsis of this film. So, Defending Your Life is a 1991 romantic comedy fantasy written and directed by Albert Brooks. Daniel, played by Albert Brooks, crashes into a bus and dies in his newly purchased BMW on his 39th birthday. Daniel awakes in the afterlife in a place called Judgment City, a place that is made to resemble Earth, where humans are brought to be judged in court for the decisions that they have made over the course of their lives. New arrivals are assigned defenders, whose job is to prove that their client acted without fear and would be a valuable candidate to move on and become a citizen of the universe. In the courtroom, defenders and prosecutors examine and cross-examine the human on trial while presenting episodes from their client's life on a movie screen as evidence. Two judges preside over the proceedings and make the final ruling as to whether the person on trial will move on or return to Earth in a new body and try again. Now, during the day, Daniel attends his hearing, observing events from his life representing what the prosecutor, Lena Froster, played by Lee Grant, feels for his most fearful moments. His defender, Bob Diamond, played by Rip Torn, helps Daniel counter the arguments by explaining the logic behind the question reactions. In the hours when he's not actively defending himself to earn the chance to move on, Daniel explores the entertainment options Judgment City has to offer. In a comedy club, The Bomb Shelter, he meets Julia, played by Meryl Streep, and they quickly form an attachment that blossoms into love over the course of several days. 
In contrast to Daniel, whose fate looks worse as the trial goes on, Julia's moving on seems like a sure thing. The last night before their final judgment, Julia asks Daniel to spend the night with her. He declines, nearly admitting to her that his reason is fear. He's afraid to get close to her, knowing that they have no chance to stay together. After he returns to his room, he tries to contact her, but she's asked not to be disturbed. The following day, Lena Foster uses Daniel's refusal of a night with Julia in her closing arguments, proving conclusively that Daniel's fear has continued to cripple him even into the afterlife, and that he shouldn't have the chance to move on. Daniel's judgment comes back quickly, and he is sentenced to go back to Earth for the 21st time to try to live again a life without fear, without anything to hold him back. As Daniel goes to get on the tram that will take him back to Earth, he sees Julia in another tram across the way. Throwing aside any sense of self-preservation, Daniel abandons his own tram, being electrically shocked in the process, and runs in front of the other trams. He finally makes it to Julia's tram and jumps on, but the doors are locked and he can't get in. We cut back to the defense room and see Bob Diamond, Lena Foster, and the two judges watching Daniel's actions. Bob Diamond successfully argues that his act shows that Daniel was ready to move on. The judges agree and authorize the tram doors to be opened. Daniel is able to join Julia and they move on together. Happily ever after. Great movie. Love this movie. Yeah, it is. It's really good. And I, I love that hopeful ending. And always, um, I feel the same, Eileen, that you mentioned that, you know, it's not necessarily an idea of reincarnation as we may think of it, but just the idea that you always have a chance mm. to improve yourself, to learn more, to be better. Um, I think those are great, great points. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, what is it, uh, besides that, is there anything else about this movie that really makes it your favorite comfort film? One of, one of my favorite scenes is when, uh, Julia and Daniel are, uh, in one of the restaurants in Judgment City, and Julia orders this massive plate of pasta, and she's delighting in the fact that she can eat anything she wants and as much as she wants, mm-hmm. and, and you don't gain weight, you don't gain weight in Judgment <laughs> Judgment City. And that's been a big fantasy for me. I love food and I would love to be able to eat meat and not gain weight. I want all you can eat meatball this is <laughs> All you can eat meatball sub, all you can eat mozzarella sticks. I'd be first in line. Well, that's pretty much the life I'm living and I already love it. So I've successfully abandoned my fears. I'm facing my fear, you know? Facing it. Top it off with chocolate and good so i mean we're definitely talking comfort food (laughs) yeah but do we think this movie traditionally could be called a comfort film oh yes i i believe so it's fun yeah yeah there's a lot of funny stuff Mm -hmm. in this there's a lot of sweet stuff emotional stuff it is but also a lot of really funny stuff too Mm -hmm. and also i think probably the two of you really have a lot of memories of watching this on holidays and things yeah i think that maybe we watched this the first time that i hung out with you guys on christmas yes Uh i think we did that does sound like like us right it does you know it's like you have that that family association with it too which really we have pizza well, I mean, you were there. I'm probably the only person on planet Earth who went to a Thanksgiving meal at someone else's house 
and demanded that I have a meatball sub from the pizza place, which had to be purchased on the previous day. I ate it cold at the table while everyone else <laughs> ate a wonderful, you know, turkey stuffing the whole nine yards. Nope. I just oh, wanted yeah. my meatball sandwich, did not even need it, you know, heated up. I just dug right in and, uh, you know, enjoyed a, a nice cold soda. So now you all know what Eileen's had to put up with. Yes, I, I, this also not only happened on Thanksgiving when we were invited out, it would happen on Christmas Day. I mean, I would cook, uh, I'm of Italian heritage, and I'd cook all this good Italian food. And my, uh, John's dad and, and I, you know, really loved that stuff. My my father, uh, John's uh, grandfather, who, who, whom he lovingly called Pow Pow, would come, and, and you know, on, on Christmas. And so I would, you know, I would make, uh, you know, these uh, wonderful stuffed peppers, you know, and all the, you know, for Christmas Eve. I like whatever. the stuffed peppers. Right. That's well, the one. Thing that he, yeah. I love but, the stuff. But then, you know, but not the, the fish. fish and all that kind of no, stuff. I didn't get to fish till much later. And then, you know, he, he wanted his meatball sub. I he mean, did. you know, I mean, it was, you know, it's like, just the way just, it was. I don't know. Yeah. Very crotchety. Young yeah. Young. <laughs> yeah, he knows what he likes and nothing else. Hmm. Um, all right. So, yeah, I agree. Traditional, probably, at least in your family, I would say this is a traditional comfort film for sure. Mm hmm. And overall, um, it fits kind of with this hope um, theme that yeah. we've kind of seen so far running through uh, the, the movies that we pick, even as different as they can be. Mm -hmm. So, let's see. Who would be your favorite character? Do you have a favorite character? Well, you know, when I watched this in the past, uh, you know, my favorite character was Julia. You know, it showed her heroism when, you know, there, uh, her home was uh, burning down and, and she was able to get her children out and the dog and the cat and I thought my gosh what what a wonderful mother and I I think I think that 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 really stood out to me a lot but this time this time Daniel is my favorite character and that's because you know John alluded to the last scene in the in the movie, in his past life, the last pa the last life that he had, you know, fear was the big thing. But uh, when Julia was moving on, you know, and he was having to go back, and you know, they they saw each other in you know opposite trains, he abandoned all his fears. He just went out, you know, got out of that train, jumped onto hers, was holding on, and he was willing to risk everything. He he abandoned his fears because he loved her so much, and he wanted to have a life with her, and and that that's what mattered to him. So you know, he didn't focus on being afraid. He just focused on being with the person that he wanted to spend maybe you know, eternity with. Yeah, I was, it was funny. I was talking to John about this just before we started taping, but I never noticed before or never thought about it before that not only, you know, when he's jumping out of the tram, uh, does he have to, you know, deal with this electrical field that's around it mm -hmm. that gets electrocuted. And he's also running in between the other trams, but it calls back to the fact that he actually died at the beginning of the movie by being hit by a bus so he's actually, you know, facing that direct PTSD thing that he must have from, hey, I got hit by a bus. I could get hit by a bus again, but it's worth getting electrocuted and hit by a bus to be with Julia for eternity. That's definite. a commitment. Yeah. That, that is like a definite that, choice. Yeah, that, that was really what's, you know, 
what cinched it, you know, uh, for him to be my favorite character in, in this movie. Yeah, it he's was, super dynamic yeah. with yeah. that growth. Yeah, it was very good. Yes, he did. He he learned, he grew. So, yeah. John, how about you? Who do, you? do you have a different favorite character? I do, I do. I mean, I, I love this movie, and Albert Brooks is... A superstar. I mean, he wrote it. Yeah, he, he directed yeah. it. He starred in it. It was great. I I still laugh at it all these years later. I mean, what what is it? Thirty years later now? Yeah, yeah thirty years. Nineteen ninety one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So thirty it years 30. later, I'm still laughing at at everything. Uh, my favorite character would have to be Bob Diamond. Oh man, he stole my thunder. Oh no. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah. No, it's okay. Bob is the man. Bob handles it. <laughs> like Bob Diamond, Rip Torn. This is man. I, I think this is my, my favorite my favorite thing, um, from Rip Torn. I mean I adored him on Larry Sanders. Yeah, this is similar to that. It I is. Say. I mean and it I mean, I think we talked about this. This was probably around the same era he was shooting Larry Sanders. I think so. So it's kind of like so. the same personality that he's bringing here that he also has in that yeah and that's yeah he's he he nails it i love him in this too he's i i mean everything with him i mean from from the very beginning i i mean he gets daniel gets the phone call in the hotel room and you know he just gets down to it and he says you know i'm your defender in a nutshell you know you're going to be defending your life and i'm here to help you like he just lays it right out to him. Uh, he gets in there with his first meeting with him, and <laughs> you know I actually believe that like this character is using. I believe he said forty six percent of his brain. I'm fully confident that Bob Diamond <laughs> Rip Torn was using forty six percent of his brain. I think while it might doing be forty seven. Oh my god! Even up. better. I buy it. I buy it from him but yeah everything i mean he's hilarious he's in control i think my (laughs) my favorite uh there's a few but my favorite bit is he walks away from daniel after they have their their lunch the you know their first lunch together at the end of their meeting and he goes you know if you need anything just call me I never sleep. And he gets up and he's walking away from the table. And Daniel's like, hey, wait a minute. Um, he's like, yep, I have to go. I'll see you. And he's out, he's out the door. You know, and, oh, yeah. And then he goes, I'm going somewhere. He goes, you wouldn't understand. He goes, I'm not talking down to you. I mean it literally. <laughs> like you wouldn't get it. Yeah, you wouldn't understand where I'm going from this meeting with you. But yeah, I like it because he also has that feel of like a lawyer from a lawyer movie in yes. real life. I mean, like, even though it's a different kind of movie, it's not exactly a courtroom drama. It kind of has the courtroom drama elements in it. Mm-hmm. And he has that defense lawyer kind of feel like he's he's 47 percent of his brain. He's smart. He's super human above what we can be on Earth. But he's also a little slimy still somewhere in there. Like, he's he's a little bit got, a, like, that ambulance chaser vibe. Oh, yeah. It's kind of like Jimmy from uh, a Better Call Saul. Another little... favorite of mine. Yeah. Another favorite of mine. <laughs> uh, the, the, uh, the other thing about the Rip Torn character, what I liked, is when, uh, you know, when he had walked away, yeah, when Daniel didn't see him, he said, well, I was in the innermost circle of thought. I really liked that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like thought, you know, too. he was really above, you know. 
you know, he had really moved on. I spend a lot of my time in the internet <laughs> circle, so I, so I could relate to that. I, I could go on and on. I could just tell you every line that he did. Is the best line in the yeah, video. Yeah, I agree. He's just, he's the guy, and you feel, you feel so comfortable with him around. Maybe that's just me. Like, if that was my lawyer, I'd feel like we've got this handled. Yeah, you just need a friend like uh, Rip Torn as Bob Diamond. Yeah, and Lena Foster. He's going to be there for you. Lena Foster is no joke. Lena Foster is like, yeah. Yeah, she's She's here to rip you down. She's here to take out Daniel. Yeah, and like, you know, and that's, that's what, another reason why I think he's so good is because you buy the fact that this guy can, you know, face off with this other amazing attorney who everyone says is the best there is. Yeah, like he can go toe-to-toe, and he's still confident that, you know, he can take this person who isn't, I mean, let's be honest, like, if you're this lawyer that's defending people's lives, mm-hmm. Daniel's case is not really the one you want landing on your oh my God. your desk. At I the mean, beginning, when he sees the case, he hates it. He's yeah, like, oh, yeah. Because yeah. this is a fearful guy. And the whole point of this is that, you know, we have tiny brains and <laughs> we don't use our brains very much. Yes. Um, and he's so, the first, I'm sorry, he's the first says little brains, right? I think so, yeah. Okay. Um, but, or does he even say tiny brain? He, but, might, he might say both. But, you know, the, the whole point is that we're only capable of, like, processing fear so until we can show that we're capable of processing fear enough, we can't move on. So that's why Daniel has to keep going back. So if you're this lawyer and you get this guy who's been to Earth 20 times, mm-hmm. he's tried over and over, he's still not getting it. Mm. You just drew like a bad card. But yeah. Riptorn makes the best of it as Bob Diamond. And I like that. Well, you know what's funny? And, and I'm thinking about it too. Like... So it, it's almost like, and I don't know if this is intentional or just I'm digging too deep. So he's been on Earth. They, they say that Daniel's been on Earth 20 times. And if he goes back, it would be his 21st time. So mm-hmm. not many times. Well, it's like, it's like well, 21 <laughs> is kind of like when people universally mm-hmm. accept that you are yeah, an adult. Exactly. So is it saying That's... that he has graduated to adulthood? and then the That's a other... very good point, John. It's a very good point. Yeah. I mean, also, I think there's... I don't know. I'm just coming up with this right now. There's like a real card theme here mm. because I just said drawing the bad card. Oh, yeah. Bob mm-hmm. Diamond. Oh, yeah. That is. And that's... then 21 is Blackjack. When Daniel hits 21 is actually when he's able to move on. He's uh, matured and he's ready good. ready to move I'm on. I'm sure that was not intentional. I never thought of that. <laughs> I just <laughs> thought of it. Right. <laughs> I literally thought of it because I talked uh, about the card thing and then yeah. I thought card. Diamond twenty one. Isn't that amazing? That's, that's it's funny how those yeah. Coincidences. The more you you know you think about it, there's so much to draw from this movie. Truly, unless yeah. Albert Brooks meant that, and then he can just call mm-hmm. us and tell us we finally <laughs> cracked the code. You guys are smart. You ladies know what's going on, so I, I well, never discount. This. You're the one who was talking about the emotional maturity thing. I think that's twenty one. I think. 21 coming into like your adulthood i think there is definitely a metaphor there too mm-hmm. i mean 20 own. is also just a round number yeah so it could just be that it sounded good i mean mm-hmm. when i'm writing something i know sometimes i just put something down that sounds good and then later i realize there's a lot more that can be drawn from it but those are the happy accidents well the other one too is so it's like his 39th birthday that he dies and everyone sees 40 
is this landmark, you know, like 40 is like a milestone, right? Yeah. You become <laughs> the dinosaur, right? <laughs> you know, it just, it happens, you know, so he dies at 39. So I, I don't, I don't, I have no idea where I'm going, but you know what? 40, no, but I, yeah. I think like, I think you're making a good point. I think the numbers are somewhat intentional Yeah. here because, you know, it shows that I think once you get to 40, you you're perceived as having lived a long time versus maybe 39 you're still you know somehow not quite to that point yet so he's still perceived as being really young to die yeah um and and not being able to have really achieved middle age even like he's just knocking on the door of middle age but not quite there he's really just getting into the prime of his life yeah when i was 39 i felt like there was a huge difference between being 39 and the day 40 showed Mm -hmm. up like 39 is like yeah yeah and then 40 is like (laughs) 40 and you just are like okay no no all right and they're still kids to me i mean you know i'm uh you know i'm 75 so 40 to me is like a child. I just, you know? <laughs> I don't know. I've never really thought about milestone birthdays that much. It just hasn't, like, I know on my 30th birthday, mm-hmm. you were at, you were in film school at the time. Oh, wow. And so Oh, yes. I remember this. I had, I took the day off of work because I don't like going to work on my birthday. Who does? It's gross. Mm-hmm. And. It is. <laughs> Yet, all I had planned, uh, (laughs) the literal only thing that I did, uh, was go to the DMV and renew my driver's license. And the only person that said happy birthday to me that day was the DMV person. Because it was before Facebook. (laughs) Was the DMV person nice? Yes. All right. They were very nice that I turned 30. They were like, oh, happy birthday. Did anybody have a favorite scene that we haven't discussed that you wanted to talk about? I know we touched on a lot of different ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, one that I would say, um, it barely qualifies as a scene, um, but John and I actually have pulled out a line from it, and we use it in our lives all the time, is that the first night uh, that Daniel is in Judgment City and is kind of cognizant of what's going on, he turns the television on and there's this game show on, (laughs) um, and there's these two people on there, and they have to decide if they're going to face their fear or not. And the woman decides that she's not going to do that. Um, But then the man decides he's going to face his fear. And when he says that, he's like, I'm going to face my fear. And the game show host is like, he's facing his fear. (laughs) And so John and I will constantly just say, he's facing his fear. He's facing his fear. Or I'll say it if I'm facing my fear in real life. Or John (laughs) will say it if he's... Like, anytime that we're kind of scared about something happening... Um, and we have to go do it anyway, we'll say to each other, you're facing your fear. (laughs) I think that the funny thing is all these TV shows and all the entertainment options that they came up with, it kind of has like the feeling of one of these older movies, Mm -hmm. um, like Stay Tuned or some of these things where they have like the joke TV shows and things like that. And there's a lot of creativity in that. I could just imagine Albert Brooks writing this and coming up with a lot of fun ideas of little bits to put in like that. Yeah. Um, but I'm also curious to know if either one of you noticed anything different this time when you watched it. Um, cause I know we've seen it, we've all seen it a bunch of times, Yeah. but when you watched it this time, was there anything that popped out to you or that you were thinking about differently? Well, what this, I think I already said, I know I already said this, the depth of, uh, Daniel's character 
and his transformation is what really struck me this time and and it didn't the last time maybe it's because i was probably like 40 when i saw you know when i first saw it and now i'm 75 <laughs> and i see you know i i i uh, recognized his you know his growth at the end you know how he had truly abandoned his fear to mm. and to enable him to uh have the life that he really wants to have yeah. i'm thinking maybe it was you know maybe you know we go through different stages in our life and um i was i guess more like into the wife and mother thing you know with julia seeing all gee how great she was and how she was never afraid and all that but uh, I mean, this, and Meryl Streep is such a she, good actress. Yeah. She's fabulous. I, she's really one of my favorite actresses. She's she's you know phenomenal. And her part is kind of small in this, honestly, when you look at <clears> it. But it's so meaningful and great. Like, and she's so likable. Mm -hmm. as is. well. She is. John, what about you? Anything for you that was different or? Sure. I when I watched it this time, what I thought about was Albert Brooks as a filmmaker. It really had the vibe of going to a film festival because when people are talking about their, their court case, they keep saying, how was your screening? What time is your screening? So it's like a film festival. And then you have the critics there. You have judges, literally, that decide, you know, will this be okay? It's like, will this film be successful? Is this film something to stay away from? You have people that are on your team promoting it, and then you have people, critics, whoever, you know, or just folks that just didn't care for it. And also, just like the, the different social strata, because Daniel ends up at a hotel, the Continental, that is like a very, like, economy hotel. Mm -hmm. And some productions have more money, some have less. Well, you and some actors get treated like, a list yes and some don't <laughs> to be nice yeah well and that's and then you know julia meryl streep's character is in this amazing just beautiful you know palace yeah where they're, they're serving, serving champagne and caviar exactly. <laughs> they have a fountain you, you know so i i was tuned into the the filmmaker perspective this time and yeah then, it has that feeling of like watching dailies when he goes in yes to watch his daily trial mm -hmm. it's like let's look at the footage we got from yesterday or whatever is it funny does yeah. this play yeah that's mm -hmm. that would be the the biggest takeaway for me this time is that's it felt like a, a a romance that happened during a film festival and since <laughs> you know meryl streep's a very famous actress and albert brooks is an actor as well as writer, director, you know, this is something that could happen between two people at a film festival. They would just be thrilled to see each other, and you could just have this whirlwind romance. And so, then they bring it out of that world into real life after the fact. Yes, that that's yeah. Something that I've I noticed this time that I don't think I thought about before, and maybe it's just because I knew we were doing this. I, I went in kind of with an idea about wanting to take the movie apart a little bit or take the characters apart a little bit. But I was really just trying to notice the differences between a character like Meryl Streep, who everybody adored and who was, it was a kind of a foregone conclusion that she was going to move on. Yes. So what is it mm -hmm. about her that's different 
from Daniel, who it's kind of a foregone conclusion that he is not moving on. And the biggest thing that I noticed was that they just had uh, really different approaches to things. Mm -hmm. uh, like, Julia really never questioned what people thought about her, her choices and her decisions. Whereas Daniel, every single thing was, is that okay? Is that normal? Am I normal? I mean, he was just so mm -hmm. concerned about yeah. being normal, being acceptable. And uh, Julia really was actually the opposite. She was kind of, it's something you had mentioned before, Eileen, like glorifying and the difference, you know, that she could live in Judgment City. You know, it was a new experience for her and she was so open to it. Whereas Daniel was just really conscious of trying to fit in and be normal at all times. Julia was very comfortable in her own skin. It was easy for her. In she, Even though at one point she said to Daniel, she says, I really don't have it all together. But uh, she certainly gave the appearance that she did, whether she did or not. I, it, To me, she did. But, uh, you know, she uh, situations were easier for her to handle. She didn't question what she, what she did or who she was and daniel did yeah he you know he, he was like a little insecure and and questioned everything like oh am i doing this right is this you know right yeah is that he was right? always afraid of being judged yeah he like, was judgment city for mm -hmm. him is definitely a place mm -hmm. to be judged not just by the judges but by every single mm -hmm. entity who existed there mm -hmm. um and julia i don't really think she had all everything all together but i think that the difference between her and Daniel is that even though she didn't have it all together, she was going to keep pushing ahead anyway and live everything to the fullest. Mm -hmm. Whereas Daniel was terrified that somebody was going to realize that he didn't have everything together. Mm -hmm. yeah. you now yeah. she really accepted the idea that she's not perfect and that she, you know, does have more to learn and more to discover and more flaws to uncover and things like this, you know, that she could work on. Whereas he just is so scared of being judged by it. So that was just mm -hmm. something that was floating in my head. Mm -hmm. um, even as something to take almost as like a lesson back to my own life. Yeah. Um, I don't think I tend to care too much about what people think anyway. I probably should care a little bit more. <laughs> I you used know, to, I think, but now I don't. I think that it's better. <laughs> Happens with age. I think that it's, well, I've been like that with since me. I was, I've yeah. been like that since I was a little kid. I, mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever been super concerned about, mm -hmm. you know, propriety, much to my mom's chagrin, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Um, we'll ask her when she's on the podcast someday. I don't think that was ever something I was super concerned about, but I know a lot of people who are, and I know... I'm one of them. I'm worried about everything. Not, I'm not pointing you out. But I, I'm pointing myself out. I well, worry about everything. Well, you do but worry he's... about a lot of things, oh but God. it's because you want to be good. Like, you strive very hard to do everything right because you care about that. Yeah. I think that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I think that in this, it was set up pretty cleanly. To have, you know, just a really black and white difference between here's a person who cares about what people think about everything, mm -hmm. and here's a person who kind of doesn't care at all, and she's just living to the fullest. So, yeah. Okay, well, I think that we've uh, talked about a whole lot of issues here. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is great, um, and I think we probably should have started thinking about wrapping our little episode up here. Um, so, uh, in line with our comfort film idea... 
What food would you liken this film to? Eileen, how about you? Coconut shrimp. I love coconut shrimp. <laughs> so that's your favorite? <laughs> that's my favorite food. Favorite food. That would be wonderful movie. to watch, you know, that movie. With, with a, a pile of coconut shrimp. Just a pile shrimp. of coconut shrimp. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what I'll do the next time I watch. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a good idea. Comfort food, Georgia, with her comfort film. <laughs> that is a good idea. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, next time we should eat the food that we think the movie right. like it's and see what happens. Yeah, that's it. How about idea. you, John? What what is this what is defending your life as a comfort food? I, I go back to the meatball sub, just the longest <laughs> longest meatball sub you've ever seen. All right. Yeah. You could just keep going forever and for ever. eternity. Yes. An eternity sized meatball sub. And I also need a drink that would, you know, be there for me too well i don't know if it's the tupa outfits or just the idea of uh, the clouds or something but for me defending your life is like a delicious giant steaming bowl mashed potato there you go that sounds good yeah i would just lay in a pile of mashed potatoes and watch yeah. this movie so any final thoughts eileen how about you anything you anything we haven't discussed in our extensive deep dive that you want to make sure we say well it was great to watch this movie again because we just watched it again and it was great to watch it with john and georgia again it um it you know it's a comfort movie and i was with my comfort people and Aww. uh you know we we got to do this podcast we got to you know take apart the movie and talk about it and you know hear each other's thoughts and uh ideas and uh that was what was best for me. Yeah, that was super fun. Mm -hmm. And I don't really know if anything else needs to be said after that. John, mm -hmm. do you have anything? Great movie. I, I liked watching it with you guys. Uh, for anyone that can see the video feed of this, which maybe we'll post sometime, uh, in the background we've actually got my father's old bowling shirt hanging up uh, from the Cooperstown Vets. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a yellow shirt. has his name Bob on the front. And I just want to say, he's here with us for this episode. Yes, yeah. he's here with us, Dad. Three-part invention, which is now a four-part invention. <laughs> <laughs> that added addition, a very yeah. wonderful added addition. So we get to have uh, both Mom and Dad here, at least Dad in spirits. Yes. And yeah. in shirt. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, thank you again, Eileen. We enjoyed having you, and we enjoyed really enjoyed watching this movie with you. Yes. Um, we will be back, uh, and we're going to be discussing the 80s horror classic, which combines vampires, hellhounds, and a sweaty saxophone player. Yes. The Lost Boys. I can't wait. It's going to be fun. Me too. I can't wait to see that grumpy grandpa again. <laughs> That's I'm your more spirit, and more, man. I used to be like the kids. Now I'm like the grandpa. <laughs> there you go. And it was, it was, it was just great to be here. Really. All right, everybody. Great well, thank, thank you, you so, so much. much for coming. Thanks for coming. And stay comfy. Stay comfy. Take care. <laughs>